Right, how's that? Is it okay? Everybody can hear me okay? Cool. I love and hate this Britney mic. Like, it gives me a bit of freedom, but also it makes me feel like a bit of a diva, so... What I don't want to do right now, I don't want to have some sort of clunky gear change, so I'm going to pray, and then, uh, and then I'm going to start preaching. Is that okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us in worship, Lord. And we know, we know that just because we are moving on now to look at your word and to receive, to receive that solid food that is going to do us much good doesn't mean that you are not present by your spirit. And so what I want to ask, Lord, is keep our eyes and our hearts turned to you. Lord, even as we go about looking at things like vision and how we're to behave as a church family to one another, Lord, I want to pray, would you be present in our hearts, Lord? Would you open us up to receive everything that you have for us? In Jesus' name, amen. So if you don't know me, yes, my name's Dale, and I am one of the elders at New Life Community Church. Uh, We're continuing this morning our DNA uh, preaching series which focuses on the vision we are carrying together as one church that meets across multiple locations. So that vision is then to see many lives transformed by Jesus, to be a local church that pioneers and helps establish new communities of believers, and to provide love and support for those who struggle with life's challenges. Just a warning, you're going to hear a lot more of that language Uh, both this morning and moving forward. Because vision is about where we're going. It's about our destination. It's what we're aiming for. And our vision statements reflect what we believe God has commanded and called us to do together as a church family. Last week, I know Paul looked at at, uh, a church that pioneers and helps establish. And today, we are going to look at a church that provides love and support for those who struggle with life challenges. But what does that even mean? What do we mean when we say that? What we're talking about is a duty of care that we have as a church family. We have a duty of care to one another, which we can place under the heading of care to the church. And we have a duty of care towards all those around us. And we'll place that under the heading care to the community. So care to the church and care to the community. But I do think before we start unpacking those in detail, it's going to be helpful for us to look at motivation. What motivates us? What drives us to care in the first place? For those of you who serve in the care sector... What motivated you to pursue a career in nursing or social work, being a doctor or a carer? What was your drive, your inspiration for choosing that path? Uh, For a short term, I worked as a support worker in an assisted living accommodation. And I've, I've got to tell you what motivated me, what stirred me in that job, was the fact that I was able to help people by supporting them to live their lives to the fullest. We're talking about people who have all sorts of mental health difficulties, physical disabilities, and I was able to journey with them and be part of their lives 
and help them do those things that they wanted to do, to achieve their goals and empower them to be in control of their own lives. To me, that part of care was so, so appealing. And what motivates you is important because it lays a foundation for the way you handle stuff, right? When things get tough, it reminds you why we're doing what we're doing. In my case, in that job, one of the people I was supporting had some severe uh, behavioral difficulties, violent behavioral tendencies. And for me, the joy and my motivation out of that made me be able to continue through that. It's hard work when the person you're caring for or supporting doesn't always receive that care well. But I knew the reason I'm doing this is because I get to see this outwork. I get to be a part of this. And for us as a church family, that motivation to care is found in the gospel, right? The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. <laughs> I love reading that because, in all honesty, his words sound like my words. <laughs> but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. As Christ followers, when we think about our motivation to care, we look first to the care we've received. And we've received that care from God. And his care for us is motivated by his love for us. So despite all of us falling short of his standard and missing his mark, God, in his love, has showed us his great mercy by making us right with himself through Christ. Amen? And this extravagant love outworked through this mercy which has been poured on us then in turn becomes our individual and corporate motivation to love others, particularly through acts of mercy. To summarize that whole paragraph, because God cares for us, we care for others. Thanks, Ian. But I want to go further and I want to say our motivation to care also underpins and upholds our duty of care. A nurse or a doctor or a carer who signs a contract of employment is then bound to a commitment of care, a duty and a professionalism that is upheld by their motivation. And similarly... Once you decide to put your trust in Jesus and commit yourself to him, you enter into a covenant with him that includes a commitment of care both to the church family that you inherit and the community in which you live. So we can see that because of Jesus, because of his love and mercy for us, we are both motivated and committed to uphold a precious duty of care to all those around us. So let's start by looking at care to the church. Let's be real just for a minute. Struggles in this life are not going to go away. And that might feel like a bit of pill to swallow and a bit of a downer. 
But God through scripture has been utterly transparent and clear about this area. Psalm 23 verse 4, even though I walk, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God doesn't promise to steer us around or keep us out of valleys. He doesn't promise to remove all our obstacles and the challenges in our lives. We will go through valleys and we will experience troubles. But as the psalm makes clear, even in the valleys and even in the struggles, God is committed to you. He will be with you through it all. But because of who God is, because of his love, because of his care and support of you, you don't need to fear. And because of his love and leadership over you, you will be comforted. And in the same way as God has committed himself to you in your struggles, he's also commissioned his people not to stay on the sidelines when it comes to other family members that are struggling. Deuteronomy 15.11 says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. He's talking, that's God talking to Israel. And he says the principle of care starts here with care first to the family. Open wide your hand to your brother and sister. I love that language because opening wide your hand means to not hold anything back, to be lavish, to be generous, generous in time, of counsel, of support, of resources, even people, finances and food. Be generous to one another. Don't hold back. Whatever it is, when your brother or sister is struggling with life, open wide your hand. Be lavishly generous and extending your support just as your heavenly father is with you. One of the things that brings joy to my heart and the rest of the elders is when we look at this church family, we see that happening. Keep doing what you're doing. As an eldership team, we're concerned with and committed to the care for our church family. And we're intentional about how we go about administering and developing that. As part of my role, I'm responsible for enabling and developing and overseeing the ongoing care of this church family. And it's something that we're growing in and we're growing in our understanding and we're tightening up our practice. But that, of course, means that we make mistakes along the way. And so for that, we ask for your grace to bear with us. Because the intention of our hearts is to offer that open-handed care to all of our brothers and sisters in Christ across our whole church family. As elders, we're held doubly accountable before God for the care of this church family. But we are not solely responsible for it. A big part of our role is to create and maintain a culture of care to one another one another amongst this church family, just as God has instructed and shown in his scriptures. And with that in mind, part of our responsibility 
is to remind each and every one of you of your motivation and your duty of care to those who are part of this family and to encourage you to be open-handed and generous in supporting particularly those who are struggling with life's challenges. That means to journey with them, to pray with them, to practically support them and to be family with them. Again, it's a joy to see that that is already the heart that is here. That is what we see happening. But to help equip and prepare you to do that, I want to offer another principle of care that we find in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verses 2 to 5. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? I understand that that passage is written primarily to elders, but I want to say this. Those qualifications are not the benchmark. They're the minimum. They're not something that only elders aspire to. They're something that, hey, guys, you should be doing this already. They are things that we should all be continually seeking to pursue as we honour God. And they link to another principle that I want to highlight to you, the principle of self-care. The principle of self-care is really helpful when we think about any care that we want to apply to the church family or to the community. Because self-care, the care of myself, leads to care of the family. The point of the principle we see here in 1 Timothy is if you can't care for yourself, your devotional life, your behavior, how then can you care for those in your home? This is talking to elders or potential elders. And if you can't care successfully for those in your home, how can you care for those who are part of your church family? That's to state it negatively if we swing it round and say it positively. If I can care for myself then I am in a much better position to care for others, both in my family and in my church family. Self-care sounds pretty selfish. But here, in this case, it's motivated and governed by your desire to care for others. Therefore, self-care for the sake of others isn't selfish, but selfless. When you look after yourself, spiritually and physically, and intentionally care about your devotional life with God, and your health, and your diet, and your fitness, and all those things, you're putting yourself in a much better place to care for others. The good news is that means taking time to enjoy all the benefits of God's creation, all the work, all the rest, and all the play that bring praise to God and bless you and me. 
And we can do that in order that we might also be a blessing. Because in a reality, we're operating out of a place of safety and security and abundance in God. In contrast, if you give yourself to serve others without taking time to care for yourself, then you put yourself at risk. You endanger your work with God, your physical and mental health, and ultimately, your home life. Because in the end, you're not operating out of a place of abundance, but a place of absence. Caring is costly, and if you're giving mentally, physically, and emotionally from what you don't have, you're headed for either breakdown or burnout. And we do not want that. We do not want that. Unfortunately, it seems to me, it's been my experience, that those who are the most caring of others often seem to care the least for themselves. And this ought not to be so amongst us, brothers and sisters. God wants you to enjoy fellowship with him and to be responsible for your self-care. He wants you to minister to others out of a place of abundance, not absence. Because in doing this, you are in a better place to care for them. It's also vitally important to recognize that good self-care includes letting both God and your church family know when you are having those valley moments. Good self-care includes shouting out when you're struggling. Psalm 18.6, David says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. It starts with crying out to God. It starts with verbalizing, like David did, his struggle before God. Getting it off his chest, being transparent in order that he might know the comfort of God's leadership, love, and provision over him. Likewise, in God's leadership, love, and provision for you, he's put family around you. When you look to your right and your left, these guys are here for you. Family who are called upon by God to be open-handed with their support for you. So like David, when you're in distress, the healthiest, the healthiest thing you can do is voice it, verbalize it, tell God, and tell your church family. Don't store it up inside where the smallest thing can snowball and become big point of distress. Don't push it down and try to soldier on. Be real. Reach for God. Reach for one another. Mark 12, 31, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And we're used to hearing that and thinking, yeah, you know what? If I love my neighbor as well as I loved myself, I would really love my neighbor. And that is true. But flip that round. To love your neighbor well, you need to love yourself. If you love yourself well, you will love your neighbor well. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, self-care isn't about perfection. Even in the context of qualifications for 1 Timothy, I guarantee you no aspiring elder or appointed elder is perfect. I am not perfect. 
None of us are. But we should all have a heart to put these principles of self-care into practice. Care of your relationship with God, care of your physical and mental health. Because all of these done with the mindset of, if I can do these things well, I can serve others well, is a godly, godly mindset. So we've established that caring for yourself well leads you to care for others well. And we've established that when you commit yourself to Jesus, you also commit yourself to caring for others as he cares for you. And that outworks in this Christ-like burden for the welfare of the church family and the church worldwide. Therefore, when you see an individual or a church family that is struggling, there should be a healthy weight placed on your shoulders that calls you to respond to that situation. My caution is, doesn't always look like you have to do that alone. Maybe that looks like you do that in team. Maybe that looks like you flag that to somebody and say, I think this person is struggling. Let's go help them. But the burden should be there. We should draw alongside them, shoulder to shoulder, to bear one another's burdens, the Bible says, so that we can commit to pray for and journey with and support them in the best way possible. And ultimately, we get the chance to point them to Jesus by behaving like him. But how do we go about doing that? I genuinely, I think there's a very practical question that we can ask to help us figure that out. In the biblical account of Bartimaeus, we find that he was in distress. And in his distress, he cried out to the Lord, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus replies with, what do you want me to do for you? What can I do for you? When brothers and sisters in the church family are crying out in distress, that is a great question to ask. What is it that you'd like me to do for you? What can I do for you? It doesn't always mean a physical thing. It might be prayer. It might be listening. It doesn't mean you've got all the answers. It means you're willing to have a conversation. It doesn't mean fixing the problem. It just means journeying with them through it. If their, health, if their answer is a healthy, genuine, God-honoring answer, then we as brothers and sisters have got good grounds to not only show support, but to be, to be that support for them. I want to land this section on this point. When we do this, when we love and support and display our open-handed care for one another in the way that I see this church doing already, we are also showing and demonstrating and living out in front of anyone who looks in what it looks like to love people like Christ does. Okay, so we've spent some time looking at care to the church now we're going to look at care for the community. Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 18 says this. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. 
He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Again, this is God talking to his people Israel. Sojourners for the people of Israel would have been foreigners dwelling in their land or temporarily visiting, which means it wasn't their true home. And God charges them to love the foreigner and reminds them of their motivation to care for those who are foreign in their land. Why? Because they too were once foreigners in a land that was not their home. And they were subject to slavery and mistreatment. God is very clear on how Israel is to behave to those outside of their people. They are to love those outside their community because God loves those outside their community. And they're to do it practically. They're to give them food and clothing, which in this context, it represents their basic physical needs. God is saying, you meet them where they are and you provide what they need. On one level, God acted in human history to redeem Israel from being subject to slavery and being foreigners in a land that was not their own and lead them to their true home. On another level, that is our desire, right? For every single member of this community of Wimborne and beyond, that God would free every person from slavery to sin, redeem every heart who is yet to know him, and lead them to their true home to become part of his family. Amen? And we have a part to play in making that redemption known to everyone. And yet simultaneously, God calls us and charges us to love and care for those within our community through practical provision in response to need. We too are to love those outside of our family because God does. And we're to respond practically. We're to give all types of spiritual and physical provision so that people can retain their dignity and we want to reinforce their value as God's creation made in his image. Together, we have a duty of care to this community because we are ones who are made in God's image. We're like him. Therefore, what he loves and who he loves, we love. We need to seek justice for the fatherless, justice for the widow, to love the foreigner, and to practically provide for their needs so that we demonstrate through our actions God's complete love and value of them. This is why the parable of the Good Samaritan is so, so significant. Because the story puts into practice the attitude of God to all who are struggling, all who are hurting, who, all who are in need of support. God shows no partiality, just like the Good Samaritan. He offers perfect care to all. And he's willing, like the Samaritan, to go way beyond, way beyond cultural expectations. He's not bound by what someone might think, this person or that person. His concern is for the person who is hurting. And the support that the Samaritan gives reveals God's heart 
to see hurting people not only cared for, but restored, healed, back on their feet and going again. The Samaritan doesn't do the bare minimum. He goes way above and beyond. And we should have the same heart amongst us. Motivated by the gospel and remembering that we were all once aliens to God and foreigners to him. And that God in his mercy and kindness sent his son so that through him we would no longer be strangers to God. But we would find our feet. We would go on in life in our true home with him. Micah 6.8 does a great job of summarizing how our behavior should reflect God's. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? We are to do justice. We are to love kindness. And crucially, we are to walk humbly with God. Remember that principle of self-care we talked about. Here it is again. This time phrased differently, walking humbly with God, pursuing your personal relationship with him, looking after your needs, not with an attitude of self-service, but with a desire to be equipped to serve others. Again, if you are caring for yourself, you're able to care for your family and your church family and into the community. So I think it's of the utmost importance that we care for ourselves. Because being intentional about this puts us in a much better position to serve and support others, to draw alongside those who are struggling. We want to be supporting others out of an overflow of abundance, not from a place of absence. And here's where I want to land this morning. A fruitful, flourishing, supporting church is in a much better position to support those who struggle within the community. It's an overflow of blessing from God to us, us to our church family, and church family to the community. Do you see how that works? That is why you will see us, where we can, invest to the best of our ability in caring for our community. We are excited by what we can do together in Wimborne. We are excited about what is being done already by you guys in Wimborne. We want to faithfully bear the image of God, to look out for the welfare of those who might require support. We want to seek justice for the fatherless and justice for the widow. We want to see what that means in this community. Where are the widows? Where are the fatherless? And how do we love them and support them? We want to love the foreigner. We want to practically provide for their needs and demonstrate through our actions God's complete love and value of each and every person without partiality. This is us as New Life Community Church saying that we don't want to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Faith without deeds, conviction without action is useless. In fact, the book of James puts it a little bit more sternly. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
considering the season we're in, fresh off the back of COVID, smack in the middle of this conflict in the Ukraine and facing a steadily increasing economic challenge, our responsibility and in fact our opportunity to serve our community is the greatest we've probably seen in our lifetimes. People are struggling with the long-term mental and physical effects of COVID. We have an influx of who? Of sojourners, foreigners, refugees from the Ukraine. And we have huge number of people struggling to access even basic needs in our nation. And all this means that as a church family, by the grace of God and in line with his provision over us, we will need to press forward in faith And we will need to step up our game to meet these challenges. But with the Father's heart in mind, we will continue to serve this community. We will continue to serve those who are struggling with life's challenges. We want to provide care and support through who we are and in the different life-giving programs that we run and that we intend to run. I want to pause here because if you have a passion to be in the community and see things done. If you have a project on your heart or your mind that you'd like to see us run with, why don't you come and share that with us? We would love, we would love to hear those ideas. We are, we, our heart is to be in this community, to serve it both spiritually and physically and practically. So if you have something that you are burdened with, that you think this could work, this could serve this community, come and tell us as an eldership team. Let's have a chat about that. If I could have the worship team up. In terms of a response this morning, I would like us to do a few things. I would like us to take a look around the room and then I'd like us to give thanks to God for one another for this wonderful, beautiful family that already loves and supports one another so incredibly well. And I genuinely mean that, and I'm genuinely asking you to give thanks for one another. I'd also like you to take a moment to reflect on yourself, to commit personally before God to put these principles into practice, to commit again to say, God, I want to love people because you love them. Then when the meeting is formally finished, here's what I want you to do. I know you're going to do this anyway, so it's almost no point me saying it, but I'm going to encourage you anyway. I want you to take the opportunity to check in with one another to support one another, to be real with one another. If someone comes to you and says, how are you doing? Do not say, I'm fine, thanks. Unless that's true. If that's true, great. Give thanks together. If it's not true and you're working through something, say it. If it's appropriate to do so. Share with one another. support one another, be real, uphold that duty of care to one another and please take time to pray with one another.
I'm going to pray and I'm going to hand over the worship team. I hope that's clear what I'm asking you to do. Give thanks for one another. Praise God for this beautiful, beautiful family. Check in with one another. Be honest and real with one another and pray for one another. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word that encourages, commissions and charges us to a commitment of care to ourselves, to our church family and to our community. God, will you teach us and help us to walk with you humbly, to love kindness, to seek justice. God, as you have mediated for us and cared for us and loved us, help us to do the same for others in Wimborne. God, we are motivated by your gospel and our heart is to uphold that duty of care to one another. Help us to do that to the glory of your mighty name. 